Right, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Um, we come off a, a, a hard chapter where you, you use it to look in the mirror and you go, ooh, and that's a little more detail than I really want to see in the mirror this early in the morning. Um, that Israel was a rebellious and stiff-necked people, that they were a people quick to turn aside, that they were stubborn, despite, and it's so easy for us here to point our finger at them, and go, man, I mean, if we had seen the miraculous, if we had seen the extraordinary things that God did in Egypt, surely we wouldn't have done that. Oh, you know, <laughs> praise God that I wasn't there. Um, you know, I, I wonder where I would have fallen, ultimately in the desert. But on the heels of that comes chapter 10, and we see God's extraordinary grace, his extraordinary mercy to his children. Uh, to his people. Time and time and time and time and time again, they stick their finger in his eye. And time and time again, God extends his grace to them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's also interesting and difficult for us to understand God's sovereign plan and design because Canaan, rebellious, sinful Canaan, received judgment. And Israel received grace. You know, that, that God would choose a people and love a people to himself despite themselves is extraordinary because he doesn't have to. Crazy. So God provides ultimately two new tablets of stone. Why does he have to provide two new tablets of stone? What happened previously? The rage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Moses broke them. Moses broke them purposely. We'll read about that. Let's, uh, we'll start out reading uh, um, chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. No crazy words uh, that I see. Emma, could you read chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, please? At that time, the Lord said to me, Cut for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountains and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, and cut two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets, in the same writing as before, the Ten Commandments that the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, and put the tablets in the ark that I had made, and there they are as the Lord commanded me. Good. Okay, so God... Er, Moses did break the tablets. What was it that precipitated his breaking of the tablets? 
What'd you say? The golden calf. The golden calf, people going wild. Okay, the sound of war in the camp. Uh, there, it's over. Uh, you can go one chapter over for the reiteration of it in chapter nine, in verse sixteen. Uh, I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes at the foot of the mountain. Now remember, the people had heard the Ten Commandments. They had heard it from God out of the smoke and fire on the mountain as they are assembled around the mountain. And then Moses went up the mountain for 40 days and received the commandments and further guidance on the building of the tabernacle uh, and the like. And... um, you can, if you, if you want to go back and dig into it, in Exodus 31, verse 18, and Exodus 32, 15 to 19, you can see where God gives the first tablets to Moses. And it says, it says specifically that God gave the tablets to Moses. You know, Moses didn't have to cut them out of the rock the first time. wasn't like, okay, Moses is going to etch it on there and go, okay, these are the Ten Commandments. No, it was written with the finger of God. And it was written on both sides of the tablets. It says in Exodus as well. But this time he has Moses cut the two tablets out and tells him to make an ark of acacia wood. Um, Some debate whether this is a portable ark that he carries up with him to put the tablets into. But you see in verse 5, Moses says he put the tablets into the ark where they are to this day. That would be the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark that is spoken of here, most believe really to be uh, ultimately the Ark of the Covenant. As you're reading through this section, Moses jumps around some. uh, And it doesn't appear necessarily to be sequential. We'll see that a little bit later. And that will get really into what is his intent. Um, it's, it's like when you go to the gospels and some of the gospel narratives are very plain and you see a time sequence within it and you go, okay, this, the, the next day this happened and the next day this happened, but do we always write things in a sequential order? How else might you order something? Okay. Okay, how important is something? So the important stuff we're going to list first, even though it didn't happen. <coughs> top of three, right, top of okay, good. Okay, it might be might be as simple as alphabetical. Um, you know, some of the some of the poetry, the Hebrew poetry, acrostic, you know, where it's taking the letters of the alphabets and ordered ultimately alphabetically. So um, so don't don't get nodded if you go. This is out of order. Moses is emphasizing points here, and we'll talk about those ultimately. 
uh, as we go along. Um, note verse 4. Again, just some of, some of the emphases here. God wrote on the tablets. What did God write? The same as before. The same as before. Okay. The same ten, the ten you know, in, in the same writing as before, the ten commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And God gave them to me. We spent time and we looked at the Ten Commandments. We went through the Ten Commandments. You know, sometimes as, as Christians, we'll look back at the Ten Commandments and go, well, it's just part of the law. You go, yeah, that, that, that's true, but is there a greater weight to the Ten Commandments? I would say yes. It's like, yeah, duh. You know, they're, they're the ones on the tablets, okay? They're the ones in the ark. They're the ones written twice. They're the ones I spoke to you out of the fire. Um, are they exclusive? Do they have no relationship to the others, to the rest of? the 600 and whatever, 623 commandments that Israel has. I don't know what the number is. It's 600 and something. And, go ahead. Uh, I would say main command is love. That flows to the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments flow to the rest. They're all just explaining the Ten Commandments. Excellent. Yeah, what, is, what is the first and greatest commandment? Love of the Lord your God, is that one of the Ten Commandments? Is that one of the Ten Commandments? It's not. It's implied. It, it essentially, the, the, the first four, where you shall have no other gods before, I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Why, why would I, why, if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, is that even an issue? No. No. I mean, those, those things flow out of that big one. What's the second greatest commandment? Honor your father and mother. Nine. You might think so. You may have been told that. I'm sorry. Did I, did I swear that? Oh. Ah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that, is that one of the top ten? Is that on, on the... No, no, it's not. But is I pretend. Sarah's screwing up her face? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, if I love my neighbor as myself, am I going to steal from them? Am I going to kill him? No. No, am I going to adulter his wife? No, you go, that's absurd. This is why Jesus said, you know, the law and the prophets is, is contained within those two very commandments. They receive greater specification and perhaps comprehension for us 
in the 10. And as we flow out into all of the other commandments, you know, uh, you know about stealing and, and uh, restoration and, and, and reciprocity and, and all of that, you, you go, okay, it all flows out of thou shalt not steal. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you you kind of see how these these there is there is a a relationship um, here within within the law. And so it's as you're going through it, man. For anybody who's read through the Bible in a year and they're doing it, burp stem to stern. You're trucking along through Genesis. Oh, there's a couple of areas. And Exodus is going good. And then you get to the Ten Commandments. And then it's like... It's like running in mud. You know, everything just slows down right there. And it, it can if, if you don't understand the association. If you don't... If you don't ultimately bring it back to these are God's good laws for God's people, for his glory, uh, ultimately to make a people to himself. We're going to skip, not completely, we'll come back to it in, in really the, the, the second main bullet, the peculiar side note. We're going to skip 6 through 9 uh, right now and jump down to 10 through 11. And Katrina, would you read uh, verses 10 through 11? No strange words in there. I myself stayed on the mountain, as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord listened to me at that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people, so that they may go in and possess the land, which I swore to their fathers. Okay, last week we looked at Moses' intercession for the people. Um, Moses pleading with the people. Why did he have to plead with, pleading for the people? I'm sorry, pleading for the people. Why did Moses have to plead for the people? Yep. I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to make a nation for you. Excuse me. Moses interceded on their behalf and and God's sovereign will was played out in Moses' intercession for the people that he would maintain Israel as a people for himself, um, you know how how would that all have played out had Moses not interceded? What if Jonah had not gone to Nineveh? Um, and we go, I don't know. It's not how it happened. Um, it's extraordinary, though, that that God not only understands His divine purpose and and plan. But he also knows all the shoulda, woulda, couldas there. What would have ensued had Ebenezer Scrooge not repented that Christmas night there? It seems contradictory that he was wiped out because he 
Yeah, again, Arnold, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how that would work. Is he testing Moses? Do you care for the Israelites? Because God Himself calls back to the covenant that He made, that He has done all that He has done because of the promises made, not because they were a righteous people. He emphasizes that, not that they were righteous. Um, and, and, and again, we go, well, hey, but that should give us great, great hope. I mean, God, why does God love me? I, there's, there's not a lot lovable. There's, there's just not. Um, Could it be the example that the Lord hears our prayers and says, you know what, you've got a point there, son. <laughs> well, Thank you for reminding me. It's, it's not that he's doddering and forgetful as some of us may have become. Right. You, you know. Um, but it is, it is in the act of our intercession that God acts. What would he have done had we not interceded? I don't know. I don't know all those tendrils of, you know, Star Trek episodes there. But, but God does. And, and God's got a purpose and God's got a plan and God desires us. He calls us to intercede for our brothers and sisters. He calls us to intercede for the nations, for our nation, just as the prophets uh, did as well. Let's back up here to the peculiar side note. I will not make anybody read this here, verses 6 through 9. Uh, the people of Israel journeyed from Beroth Bene Yakan to Moserah. There Aaron died. And there he was buried. And his son Eleazar ministered as priest in his place. From there they journeyed to Gudgoda. And from Gudgoda to Jatbatha, a land with brooks of water. At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. Okay. So again, if, if you were to compare this to Numbers and Exodus, what he just laid out, you go, that is not the order that it happened in. The Levites were chosen specifically after the rebellion of the golden calf, uh, wherein Aaron was still alive. In fact, Aaron had a big hand in that event. How did the golden calf come to be? He made it. No, actually, he just threw all the jewels in the fire and out came this calf. No, man, a four-year-old can come up with something better than that, Aaron. But that's what he said. They put all the stuff in the fire and out came this calf. Aaron's death is spoken of in Numbers 20 
the Levites are set aside by God in Exodus 32. Now, ultimately, what was before Aaron's death the association of Aaron and the Levites? How were they related? And I don't mean biologically. He was. He was the high priest. The son's priestly. What did the Levites do? The sacrifices. Okay. The, the priests offered the sacrifices. And they were just in charge of the Ark of the Covenant, setting up the temple. Yes. They were essentially the, the administrators. They were, God set the Levites apart to give to Aaron and his sons to do the work of the tabernacle. Okay, they would become singers and gatekeepers within the, the temple uh, ultimately as well. Uh, but the priesthood, the high priesthood, was for Aaron and his sons. Um, turn to, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 32. And we'll see ultimately why it is that the Levites were set aside by God. Exodus chapter 32. This is the golden calf, the incident of the golden calf. Uh, 25 through 29. Sarah, would you read that? Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. At that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. So at that point, because of Levi's exclusive obedience, you know, hey, we're not, we're not doing this. God then sets aside Levi peculiarly um, for his service. In Numbers chapter 3, you see this fleshed out in verse 5 and following. So it sounds like in this passage, Moses commanded them to kill their relatives. Is that not literal relatives? Uh, it is fellow Israelites, those who are in rebellion. In Numbers chapter 3, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, 
that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Notice in verse 11 also, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. It's very interesting. So they, they do a census of all the firstborn in Israel and of all the Levites, and there's a difference of 273. So there has to be a shekel payment for the 273 that aren't covered by the Levites that are set aside uh, ultimately for, for God. And so... Here in this, there's this very strange little section in the midst of, again, coming out of a chapter thick with rebellion, you see God's grace, first of all, toward Aaron. Why does God not obliterate Aaron? I don't, I don't know. I don't. Didn't Moses speak to God? Like pray to God did, about that? He did on behalf of all of Israel. But, but I mean, I mean, what a, what a sin. What a sin. And God's grace to now, okay, Aaron's going to be the high priest. Who? Is that what it says? Here, it got. Is it, I'm sorry, Caleb, I think, was asking you that in Did Moses specifically intercede? 20, it says, I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Thank you. But God, isn't there somebody else to be a high priest? But no, the, the guy who made the golden calf ultimately is high priest. And oh, by the way, I am going to set aside a people for you for the labor within the <laughs> tabernacle. Um, so God, God's grace and kindness toward, toward his children, toward his people, is, uh, is breathtaking. Um, continuing on in uh, verses uh, 12 through, through 13. Uh, Katie, do you mind reading out loud? No. Nope. 12 through 13, please. Okay. <laughs> and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your what does the Lord require of you? I mean, what? And th this is 
Okay, what's 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 the demand? Keep my commandments. I mean, that's what it, that's everybody's big question. What do I have to do? You know, in a transaction, what what do I have to do? What is my responsibility? What is the expectation that's on me? If God's going to give us this promised land, okay, man, all right, here it's coming. What's it going to be? What is required of you? Um, I want you to hold your place right there because we're going to look at, at each of these things. And I want you to flip to Micah, chapter 6. There was a church Tracy and I went to years and years ago that essentially took Micah 6, 8 and turned it into a song. It was wonderful and it still resonates in my heart today. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Micah, Nahum, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, after Jonah, Joel. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? That Again, that what does the Lord require of you? He says it here. What's he require? To do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. <clears throat> do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Walk with your God. Again, relationship, intimacy implied in there. Really to follow after God. And that's what we're going to see here that God calls Israel to with Moses' words back in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, what is the first thing that God requires of you? Nope. Okay, that's it, Micah. I'm sorry. Back, back, in, uh, back in Deuteronomy 10. Fear. Okay, good. Good, really important. Fear. 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 We we see that a lot, and we talk about it a lot. And so, hopefully, this isn't this isn't ooh, new new and different for you. Um, how how should I fear God? I thought I can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain grace and to find mercy to help me in my time of need. I thought I could do that. Uh, if I can come boldly, but I'm supposed to fear. So, can I come boldly if I fear? You should walk fully to you. You should also have the fear knowing that if you do wrong, you are... It's going to smite me! I didn't say that. <laughs> you can't say that. That he will punish you eventually. But is that the word here? Fear? Or is it... It's used that way elsewhere. Or is it reverence? It's used that way elsewhere. How can, I, how can I fear God? How can I have a good fear of God and still become, come boldly? How can I call him Abba? How can I call him Father? There's different roles. He's also king and Lord and almighty, powerful, omniscient, omnipotent. That's something to... Take into consideration, I think. 
one should have that that fear and I'm working myself out in reverence in all that I do but I can come boldly to him because of Jesus can I adore him can I hold fast to him can I cling to his bosom is that is that sacrilegious Do I at the same time comprehend that he knows all of the spinnings and rotations of planets in galaxies people have never seen? He's well pleased to keep the order of all of them. The one who will bring a rod of iron to those who are unwilling to bow the knee, who rebel against him in his earthly reign, who will bring condemnation, just condemnation to those who reject him and cast them in holiness into the lake of fire for eternity where the worm is never satisfied and the fire never goes out. Justice, holy, wrath, merciful, grace-filled, lavish. We are to fear God. Fear Him, yes, absolutely. Man, and Israel, all, all that they saw of what He did, to reverence him. You know, so that one, that one probably was not hard for them. It's probably hard for the American Christian. Oh, I'm supposed to fear God? Oh, he's just, he's just the man. He's, he's my big daddy. Well, he's my, my Abba daddy. So we fear God. Fear the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Now a little bit later, he's going to talk about obedience, obeying all the commandments. And I, and I want to think of this one a little bit differently than I would um, just plain obedience there. Think of a child walking in the ways of his dad. What is the child doing? Imitating. Yeah. Did your kids ever put on your, your husband's shoes and, and truck, truck them through the house or you know, talk like dad or, or whatever? Try. So it's a, it's a mimicry. You know, walk in the ways of the Lord. As you see God work, so you work. You, as you've seen him behave, so you behave in righteousness and holiness. There, walk in all of his ways. Again, I don't think Israel has a problem there. I think it gets a little weird maybe for them at this point. We are to love him. I mean, he's already, he's already spoken of this earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
you know, hear, O Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, but you are to love him. This is You think of the gods of pagans. Do they love God? No, they're, they're fearful. They got the fear thing down. Oh, we're supposed to sacrifice and bow to him. And man, I don't, I don't want to cross him because man, he's going to smack us. He's going to bring, you know, hail and ruin our crops and all that. He's swift justice and all that. But, but to love him, whoa. to love the Lord your God. Love him. <coughs> Serve him. You are supposed to serve him. I think all the, the way, all the descriptions around to love him are ways to love him. It's okay. how, we, how we show our love by serving him, by fearing him, by Walking in his ways, keeping his commandments. Those are all facets of how we love God. Okay. Again, if that's the big one, if, if that's if that's the greatest commandment, as Jesus says, then it's going to kind of really flow out of that. What service does God need from you? So what are you gonna? How are you gonna serve him? He doesn't need nothing from you. Well, him needing it and deserving it are two different things. Just because he doesn't need it doesn't mean he doesn't deserve or appreciate or appreciate. Mm-hmm. And how does God do His work? On this earth. People. Yeah. Uh-huh. He uses us in our mimicry and our walking in all of his ways. And so as we serve God in obedience, we'll talk about this in, in worship as well. As I serve God in obedience, God's work is done. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's extraordinary that and this is, this is really huge in, in Desiring God uh, by John Piper. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you as the men have, have gone through this. Jesus Christ said, I did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to give myself a ransom for many. He did not come to be served, but to serve. Even when I serve, how am I serving? Unto the Lord. Okay, I am serving unto the Lord, but how is it possible that I can even serve? Because of Him. How can I serve? Because of the strength He's given me. So, really, what is my heart? It should be a joy and a delight. To be able to do what he has equipped and empowered me to do. So as I serve him, really, I'm, I'm just, I'm his, his hands and feet in this place. What a joy. With all your heart, with all your soul, you know, there's a manner described in there. You know, how are you going to do this? Man, 
heart and soul. And therein, therein is our obedience. Keep the commandments and the statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. Now, what does the Lord require you? To keep the commandments. Why? Because you love him. Not because he's going to bring the hammer down. No, he says he will. We're going to get into that next week. Some. Uh, th this is going to happen. But that's a consequence. Because he loves us. And he wants us to be his people, to be his children. He doesn't desire that they run away to go serve other gods. As he closes out this chapter, it's just a sweet exaltation of the God that we serve. Jeremy, would you read uh, 14 through 19, please? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Good. Verse 14, it's all God's. <clears throat> he has just called them to be obedient and serve, and and. You know, it kind of goes back to how do we even do that? Because it's all his anyway. It is all his. There's nothing I can offer God that he doesn't have. There's nothing, there's no offering I can bring. It's all his. That ought not make us jaded. That ought make us delighted stewards. Joy-filled stewards that I get to do what God has called us to do. What resources are available to him? Yep. Therefore, what resources are available to me? A lot. What do I need to fear? What are you going to have for lunch? You see gooey worms. Behold, the Lord your God belong heaven. What do, you, do, I, do I need to complain? What am I? What am I? Oh, oh man, what about the house? You know, I, great is our God. You know, the, the, these verses should almost choke you up. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. God has set his heart in love upon you. You, the harlot in the market, you, the slave in the mire, 
the Samaritan by the side of the road. He picked you up. He took you to the inn. He paid the price to bring your healing. He loves you. Man, how should that motivate us and impel us? Verse 16. So people, please, all your stubborn hearts, chapter 9, oh, let's be rid of that. Let this be no more. Cut this away. Put off the sin that so easily entangles you and fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is Lord. He is the Lord your God is God of gods. He's omnipotent. There, there are no other gods. He is God. He is, he is the Lord of all the presidents, of all Putin, Putin, Trump, Maduro, May, Merkel. He is master of them all. Great, mighty, awesome. His justice is perfect. And he is not swayed by the opinions of man or political persuasions or money or gold or silver. He is not partial at the end of verse 17. He takes no bribe. He does execute justice. For whom? The people for whom we ignore. The powerless, the weak, those who have no advocate. The widow, the fatherless, and the sojourner. Giving him food and clothing. So therefore, you people, you too, Love, you must be also compassionate. You must love the sojourner because you too are sojourners in Egypt. Verses 20 and following are, are a reiteration. You know, but really God should be our delight. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him. Again in verse 20, hold fast to him. Cling to him. Abide in him. For apart from him, you can do no good work. Apart from him, you can do no good work. I don't understand. I don't get it. It's okay. He does. He does. You will never have all the answers. And as you look out into the world, that's terrifying. But if you look to him and cling to him, it's nothing. Because you know he does. Hold fast and by his name you shall swear. I mean, he is, he is the one. If I, he, I, I'm going to mimic him. I'm going to speak the truth because he ultimately is truth. He is your praise, verse 21. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that you have seen. He goes, he, think, think about this. He goes, your fathers went down to Egypt as 70. 
look around you. You are millions strong. Numerous as the stars of the heavens. This is the great and lavish mercy and grace of the Lord upon a people who were rebellious. And oh, the the impact that should have on our lives. What are your thoughts? Any thoughts, questions, comments? things that God meant to be a blessing become a curse.